You're listening to Main Character Energy, a podcast that'll teach you how to become that bitch. Main Character Energy gives you a behind the scenes look at how some of the world's most impactful disruptors, innovators, and creatives came from the bottom and embodied what it means to make it in all forms. Now, let's get into the show. It's a summer for the girls, if I've ever seen it. Now, according to NASA, it's officially the hottest hot girl summer on record. And between Beyonce and Taylor Swift single-handedly stimulating the economy with their massive sold-out tours, and Greta Gerwig, who's breaking both domestic and global box office records for female director with Barbie, and my personal fave, Victoria Monet, who is bringing back real music videos with her artistry, her nods to Southern hip-hop culture, her choreography. I'm just feeling spoiled as ever. I mean, the girls are really doing it. And speaking of hot, at the time of this recording, I'm preparing for a 10-day Euro trip, which will include the south of France, Monaco, and Italy, with stops to Nice, Cannes, Eze, Saint-Tropez, and Milan. Now, my bag is nothing but linens and swimsuits, but somehow still stuffed to the brim. I did play a bit of Tetris, so I think we're ready to go. But this is the first time that I'm going to be in all three of these countries. So if anyone has any recommendations, I am so open and would love to hear them. I'm going to be documenting my experiences. So you can follow along on my Instagram, tiff underscore or underscore die. Or you can follow along my TikTok, uh, Tiff Knighton, if you want to check out my discoveries along the way. But in other news, I started a Substack. So if you are a creative, a creator, an entrepreneur or a combo of any of those things, or just, you know, somebody with taste, you know what I'm saying? Make sure you subscribe. I'm going to be sharing opportunities that come across my desk more consistently, like upcoming events, you know, speaker submissions, ways to kind of like amplify your voice, your brand, take it to the next level, tips, all that type of stuff. So make sure you subscribe at tiffnighton.substack.com. And I'm looking forward to sharing those things with you. Now today, I'm speaking with Rachel Rennick, an entrepreneur whose relentless pursuit of her mission to empower independent professionals everywhere has led to her raising over $14 million in VC funding for her company, Wethos. So if you're currently self-employed or if you're somebody who's considering the freelance life, you're definitely going to want to lock in. Now let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to Main Character Energy. Today I have Rachel Renock, the co-founder and CEO of Wethos, here with me. Rachel is a former advertising creative for brands like CoverGirl, Hershey, and many others, and has actually embarked on a mission to revolutionize the freelance market. So Rachel, you're a fellow quitter. You left your agency job to start an independent studio and ended up scaling your revenue to 1.4 million within just 18 months. Wow, that is so amazing. I I just am so happy to have you here. It's very exciting to dive into your story. So welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I, I appreciate the opportunity and I'm excited to chat today. Yes, I love that. And I, I saw like, you know, just, just reading up on you that you quit your job at 25. Yeah. And that just seems, I'm like, it blows my mind. I mean, it seems really <laughs> badass. <laughs> I'm sure it blows your mind all the time. Like, Will she be okay? Like, no, she wasn't. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, like it's one of those things where literally is she okay that's because what's going on with me like but it was the right choice (laughs) it was clearly the right choice but I I mean I just think again it's so impressive because I I'm thinking about you know why why am I so blown away I guess I've technically I quit when I was 28 but it's that's only three years after 25 but for some reason 25 really stands out for me because one it's you know, we all say like, oh, it's brave to quit your job. But at the same time, when you're 25, you really don't have that many fucks to give, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. so it almost makes sense. But what was, what kind of led you to, to quit your job at, at that point in time? Basically when I, so I went to school for communications design, which is kind of like the medium of communicating through anything. So like I did like exhibit, I did advertising, I did books, magazines, things like that. So I went right into advertising out of school. And when I left my big agency, I was at Havas. And basically what I saw happening was really I left for two reasons. 
One was I wanted more meaningful work. So, you know, it's fun to work on chocolate. It's fun to work on like, you know, makeup and these brands and stuff. But at that point, it was like 2016. It was sort of like what I thought would be the height of the political madness. And I was just really feeling like I, I wanted more meaningful work. I wanted more control over the types of things that I was doing. Um, and then the second reason was because I saw this trend in the agency where we were losing a lot of accounts to small studios and shops. Oh, wow. And I think that that trend that really stuck out to me was that, you know, to date, a lot of these big, big agencies were talking like Havas. You know, they're structured for TV production and TV production is very expensive. It takes a long time. It's a very different, like thing to produce basically. And then as I was entering advertising, like the rise of digital media was just starting to happen. And so I was shooting for CoverGirl's Instagram and I was, it was like in that phase where they're like, you're young, like you could do it. I'm like, sure, <laughs> um, which feels crazy now. But so basically there was these converging trends where the rise of digital content, you needed to make a lot more of it. it you need to be able to produce it for cheaper because it doesn't last as long as like a TV commercial might run for like years. Right. And then on top of that, we had all this new technology that was making it way easier to produce on your own. Like your iPhone shoots in 4K. Suddenly it was like, why are we correct? Like, why are we editing this on a giant movie theater size screen? <laughs> um, so like all these kind of like operational questions started to arise because I was just frustrated that we couldn't execute on things I wanted to work on because we couldn't bring our costs down as a big, big, big agency. So I left and I started my own freelance studio. Yeah, at like 25. I remember calling my mom, <laughs> who was very supportive, but That's like good. was definitely like, okay, <laughs> you know, like hesitating. And I think, um, was, I think like I had a, at that point, I didn't, I wasn't like blindly quitting. So I had met my now co-founder Claire when I worked oh. at Havas. We had spent months, you know, building up a client base. We had a strong professional network going into it, which really, really helps in terms of the, just the growth that we experienced. And then I think the other thing is we were really thoughtful about how we entered the market, quote unquote, who is our client? Like, who are we really yeah. going after? Like, how are we going to differentiate ourselves? And so I think that we did a lot of work around that as well before we quit, including also like saving as much money as we could. Yeah. But yeah, like it was definitely a longer process of like, I kind of knew six months before I quit that I was going to quit. Okay. I was just going to ask, because it's a little bit of a lead up to like start to collect those things, start to kind of think in that mindset, like me literally mentally preparing yourself to take a leap like that. Were you feeling like prepared by the end of that six months or where were you at? So, okay. I had this delusion <laughs> where I was like, all right, I'm going to put like six months worth of like personal runway in my savings account if I can. Like I'm going to do as much as I can to save as much as I can to, to basically give myself a safety net. Because I think that's obviously one of the hardest things is like, I don't come from a, a rich family or like a background like that. So like, I don't have things to necessarily fall back on. It was like me and my savings account, whatever's in there. So I think that was a big, obviously financially, there's a lot of strain there. And I had this idea in my head that I would quit and then I would give myself basically six months to prove that there was a need in the market for what I wanted to provide basically, which meant like, getting to a certain level of revenue, I wanted to just be straight up profitable, of course. That was the delusion. Of course. Um, yeah. It's a good delusion. You got to have it. Yeah, that yeah. takes a long time to get to. Even if you're bringing a lot of money in, profitability is a different ballgame. So I think like that was one of the things that I definitely got like I level set as I was going, you know, actually running the business. But I think at the end of that six months, you know, six months into freelancing, basically, I was able to at least get the confidence that with some optimizations, with some ongoing improvements to things, like we could really grow and scale a business here and there's a real opportunity here. And so from there, things got, I wouldn't say like easier, but the path and the unknowns became less daunting. And I, I always say this too, like, especially with freelance, I think people feel like they go freelance and then maybe if they go back in house or back to the agency, like they failed. And I just like, don't see it that way. So yeah. I always do, this doesn't work out. I can fall back on and try to get back into an agency or back in in-house somewhere. Like I was young and I had mm -hmm. all of that like optimism, you know, I wasn't jaded yet. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I think that's pretty natural. And I, I always found that I like no decision is permanent. And so that's kind of how the mindset I tried to try to take and approach it. With. Oh, that's a great mindset because I feel like just having that pressure off of you a little bit keeps you going because if you have that huge weight on you, it's like debilitating, right? But 
honestly, like for 25, that is a pretty good, well thought out process, I will say. Like for because I think I think the six months thing is pretty key. Like six months leading up and then six months after. Hold on. I need to know what is your sign? Sagittarius. Sagittarius. Okay. Love a Sag. I'm like, I have to know. I feel like I'm like, okay, I like, I like the thought process there. But I think that I think that could be a good tip for anybody who's like considering taking the leap to kind of set themselves up in that way. In my experience, it was <laughs> a little bit on a shorter timeline, still worked out. But I know that leading up, I gave myself I basically gave myself a six weeks, still six, so good yeah. number. I gave myself about six weeks, and I remember I was like, in these six weeks, I'm going to save as much, kind of the same process you had. I'm going to do all my contacts. I had been freelancing for a while as well, so I was always yeah, building contacts and yeah, yeah, in the background. And same thing like you where people would kind of tap me like, can you come do this? And I'd be yeah. like, sure, okay, fine. So I had all those contacts. And then I remember I was like, if after this six weeks, like I feel ready, I'm going to go ahead and put in my resignation. And I remember after like, I want to say it was like after two weeks, I was just really getting all the signs that I needed. Like I was having people that I was freelancing with on the side, like want to increase their contract and Mm -hmm. just certain things were falling into place. Did you kind of feel like things were falling into place throughout that whole time? Yeah. Like the leading up to it, admittedly like I was taking client calls yes (laughs) okay boss (laughs) but yeah similar like I'd get hired like on the side for things here and there and then like those relationships just grew and the contract started to grow and then that's actually how we grew the revenue so quickly was that suddenly it turned into like can you guys do a big brand campaign can you do a big website overall and you're kind of like Okay. Sure. I got a couple of friends I could put together to do that. And that was basically what we were doing. We were like, we have a joke that most agencies are like three freelancers under a trench coat. Like, oh my God. That's in amazing. Like, Project based teams and like following, <laughs> following the customer basically and like what the customer's asking for and really just like listening to that and trying to tune into it. And so, yeah, like I definitely felt leading up to it the day I did it. I remember just not having any doubt at that point in my mind that like this was something I needed to at least see if it would work like that was my whole thing was I wasn't necessarily putting all my eggs in that basket it wasn't my mentality it was more like can I prove there's something viable here to myself and I feel like that's the weird thing that drives me a lot of the time which is just like I just want to see if I can do it that's awesome And there was a real opportunity there yeah I think that's definitely clearly that has been a real key to all the success that you've had is just kind of staying true to the need for in the market what you feel comfortable doing the capacity that you have but I know that your studio that you branched off to start basically evolved into Wethos. So what was the inspiration behind it becoming Wethos? Totally. So this is like, this is where like my parents are still confused. <laughs> They're like, wait, you did what? <laughs> so basically I left my co-founder, Claire, who was on the account side of the business at the agency, which that also was very helpful because she was doing a lot of the client management at the agency. She was doing a lot of the budgeting, scoping work, which is a pain. Yeah. And unfortunately for her, she was seeing, you know, how much we were charging clients and like how much we were all getting paid. So when we left, we started our own studio. We first, it was really specific that we wanted to go after like nonprofit organizations. And when we approached a lot of nonprofit organizations, we did it for a few reasons. The meaningful work thing, obviously coming back to that, but also because there's just less competition for that work. Everybody, especially at that time, was really keen on working on like the next like Casper, the next like tech brand or, you know, Mm, kind of like the DTC brands. Yeah, like like the new. Mm -hmm, Yeah, totally. And so we were like, sometimes I, I, one of my favorite things, like when everybody's zigging, sometimes you have to zag. And so we went after like the not sexy stuff that we thought was really meaningful and important. Like, how do we recruit more people to work in polling stations during the election? Like, you know, working with organizations who are making digital toolkits to combat police brutality. Like these are the types of, that's the type of work and the types of projects that we were interested in. And that happened to also not have a ton of people clamoring to do that work, which is kind of surprising actually. And I think it's more of like a, I think each of these uh, groups sort of have a hard time finding each other, actually. I think actually there's a lot more people out there who want to do this kind of work and vice versa. I agree. I've seen it. I totally agree. Like anybody who's looking to get into that, like you'll probably have a pretty good chance. So it's a great market and fulfilling, like you said. Mm. Yeah, there's money there. And so we that's how we started growing really fast. And really what ended up happening is when we started to scale the business, the service-based business, like a service-based business is challenging to scale because 
you need literally more people and more people create more financial and operational complexity. Suddenly it gets complicated. Like how much should we charge? Who should get what? How much money are we really making? And it became really, really challenging because when you're running a service-based business on top of that, when you're doing sales, it's really unique to services that you're selling something that hasn't happened yet. So you're making an estimate. That's what it is when you're doing sales. Like, here's what I think will happen. Right. And then typically you bill or invoice your client sort of looking back based on what already has happened, right? Like, here's what actually went down. And so the mismatch between those two like systems was really painful because we didn't have a feedback loop around, are we pricing properly? Are we are our projects profitable? Like how much scope creep are we experiencing? You know, like how's our change control? Like your operating like function and your project management is so closely related to your budget management. And there just was not a tool out there that understood that specifically like unique pain to this kind of a business. Mm -hmm. So we ended up um, building out our own like internal operating system. And basically when we grew really fast, we used some of that funding to bring in developer in-house and he sort of built the V1 of the platform for us, which was end-to-end. -end. So it was everything from streamlining proposals and putting scopes of work together, like consistently pricing mm. all the way through to managing invoices and payments from clients, as well as payments going out to our collaborators, which is a whole other, <laughs> for studios, like a whole other thing. And so that's what led us to like software as a solution. And then when the pandemic hit in 2020, because my you know, the creative studio was around for about four years and then the software has been around for like two, two and a half. Okay. Now. All right. Early on before the pandemic. Yeah. 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 And so we were sort of developing all this, like we were seeing the trends that just got totally exacerbated by the pandemic. And suddenly, of course, pandemic hits creative directors, friends getting laid off. They're calling us like, Hey, and how do I put a scope of work together? I guess I'm freelance now. Like I never had to think about it. And for them, similarly, you know, they had the network. So they already had people knocking on their door, like, ready but they're yeah. like i don't have to i don't know i know how to do a brand campaign i don't know how to scope one yeah and nobody wants to do that <laughs> no one wants to do that's not fun, not fun take it off my plate please yeah. yeah so that was a big thing that drove us to basically take a step back and realize that the software we had built was more powerful than the studio itself and if we were able to give that software to millions of people what kind of impact might that have and I won't go into like, you know, all the parts of the platform at the moment, but I think one of the big things that we see as a challenge that we really like to solve for is in this space, there's no transparency. There's no transparency around how much are we charging? Like, and you can't run a business like that. If you sell t-shirts online, you know how much t-shirts sell for, right? But we're all out here shooting in the dark. And that only, that only gives the clients the advantage to be like, if you won't do it for $5, I'll find somebody who will. And so I think for us, like data is a big centerpiece to the yeah. product. And that's really the thing that we like center in terms of leveraging to help people make more money and to better scale their businesses in general. That's awesome. It, it definitely sounds like there is a need there. And it's one of those situations where, you know, you hear so many stories of people pivoting in the pandemic. And this one makes so much sense. I mean, so many people, like we talked about, left their jobs and became freelancers. And so now the most of the people who I guess benefit from the platform, like you said, kind of freelancers who went their own way or started to kind of be like contract workers. And what type of community did you kind of find around that? Like what types of, I guess, like personalities and things that people were looking for? Like what the data tell you? Yeah. So it was really interesting. So when we first started with the software in 2020, we were really intentional about who the first 100 people were on the platform. And we were intentional in a few ways. So on one end of things, we were really intentional about the demographics of people. So what we didn't want to happen is we didn't want to end up with like an LA, New York only network, sure. which is tough to get away from. Very easily. <laughs> yeah. I'm in Nashville. Okay. I live in Nashville now. And a lot of our current activity and signups are coming from the Southeast. There's a lot of people starting businesses in Atlanta and Nashville and Texas, Florida. We get a lot of traffic from those states. But anyway, so the first 100 people, we were really intentional about like location, about background and expertise experience, about like race, gender, because we knew basically that the first 1,000 people on the platform were going to be the first 100 networks probably. And so like if you seed that from the start and you're really intentional about it, then you end up with an extremely diverse community 
And you're able to reach a lot of those smaller communities because we're tapping into people and folks from all different areas. And that was also really important for the pricing data. Because one thing that we don't really necessarily subscribe to, especially in a remote world, is like you should price based on your location. You really don't see that enough, especially when I think about like freelance. So many other industries or even like the traditional job market, corporate jobs and salaries and things like that, but not not really in this world. It's complicated because like, okay, I'm in Nashville, but if my client's in New York, am I going to charge a Nashville rate? I'm going to charge a New York rate. I'm going to charge a New York rate because charge that New York rate. The client's willing to pay. Period. Like exactly. <laughs> I think like that was a big thing for us too, which was that you know we saw a lot of people who were undercharging, and that was a big trend. Uh, undercharging either because they were doing services they didn't realize they could or should be charging for. Like if you're setting up ongoing check-ins with your clients, those calls that should be in the scope of work. Rounds of feedback and reviews, that should be in the scope of work. If you're interviewing stakeholders, because maybe you're doing brand strategy or something, that should be in the scope of work. So people were doing a lot of free stuff that they didn't necessarily realize, like, oh, I could charge for that. And then additionally, the dollars associated. Today, you know, a lot of people do hourly rates. I think that makes it a lot harder to charge your worth because you're tying a, a dollar to your whole person. And that is emotionally taxing. Yeah. So I think like removing that from the equation, putting the price tag on the work itself, what is this service worth to you? What are these things deliverables worth to you? Helps people take a step back from that. And we've seen on our platform, like folks have like five X the size of their contracts because yes. they just didn't realize like, get the bag. Because <laughs> it's <laughs> also get the money. Like it's not even I and you know what? I'm I'm so glad that there's something like this out there because, you know, this is stuff that, of course, you know, and I know, like, takes years to figure out, right? Like, no idea. Yeah, right? Like, and if you didn't, if you haven't had that experience, or you don't know this, or, you know, you're out there on your own for years, like, I've been going solo full time for going on three years now. And there's obviously so much I wish I knew. But one big thing about hourly rates that I, I finally figured out, like, was that, it's not only like you said you're exchanging your time and and the you know the value attached to the work it's like your network your years of expertise the groups that you are associated with the like there's so much that goes into it besides just like the time and everything so yeah hourly it's not always cutting it unless it's like a call or something. So that's fantastic that you were able to put that in there and have people like really get their worth. Yeah. I have to ask you too, like in this business that you started and being able to really like rally for freelancers and, and people who want to go get the bag and really want to like be their own boss and take that leap. What has it been like really leading this charge, especially as a femme queer founder? Like, what has that been like being the face of this type of movement? Yeah. Oh, man. I always struggle with the with this aspect of it of, in terms of like, I have struggled with like the founder is the business, the business is the founder. And like, it's hard to pry those identities apart. And I've really tried actually to not center myself a ton in the conversation because at the end of the day, like what gets me out of bed is hearing that this person running their business just closed a five-figure deal and now they can go on a vacation for the first time in like three years. Like that's what I'm out of bed, right? And so I think that for me, like I've just tried to really be the voice for the community for the most part. And I'm not the perfect messenger by any means, but I think I've got the right message. And I think that when I look at the statistics today, 70 million Americans freelancing, 95% of them don't break six figures. And six figures just like did not mean what that doesn't mean what it used to mean. Like no, because it's you know, expensive like, out here. Yeah, it's so expensive out here. Yeah. Like, Inflation like, is so real. Six figures doesn't go as far as it used to. Yeah, totally. And so like wages have to come up. The wages have to come up. And again, like that's the thing that I personally just connect to really well. I've been in my customer's shoes and I've lost proposals because I undercharged even and the client was like, this felt too good to be true. Mm. I've lost back overcharge. So I I feel like mm. I think for me, the real tie-in and like how I sort of approach things is to listen and to understand what are the challenges that my customers are facing and then to try to bring those challenges to the forefront. I mean, it's shouldn't be, but it's kind of a radical act to be like, 
to get out publicly and be like, I think wages should go up and I think freelancers should make more money. It's so and radical. It, yeah. And, and that it shouldn't be, but it is, it is a radical statement. And I feel that I have the privilege of being able to say that and not having it work against me. Like, you know, if you're an individual freelancer out there posting about how you want to charge more and et cetera, et cetera, that could impact your business. Like are the clients going to be hesitant? I basically like, I feel that my role is to sort of say the things that people want to be said, but they don't have the privilege of saying those because that might impact their lives or their business in some sort of negative way. Whereas I cannot be out here talking about toxic clients and how to fire a toxic client and all the things that sort of go into this business that is really a challenge that people face that are taboo and are tough to, to talk about. So that's kind of how I see my role in that regard. And I think being part of the queer community, honestly, like really built me up to be able to do that. Like, you know, it's like you sort of experience existing that way. And so I've built that muscle of like not being afraid to say the thing that needs to be said. I love that. Exactly. It's just something that comes innately. And one thing that you said that I'm so stuck on a little bit is like just kind of coming back to the undercharging and how you could like lose a client from that. Wow. Like, can we just take a minute to say, please charge your worth ad tax, all that good stuff. Because yeah, like that's just, it's, I hate to see people undercharge themselves, especially I hate to see women undercharge themselves or like just being in this space where you want to kind of like, I guess, make a name for yourself and maybe make good relationships. And sometimes there's sacrifices. I know that like, you know, we come from a culture too, where it's like, you know, you got to do the unpaid internship. You got to put in your dues. You got to do the work. But you know, once you've been here for a while and you, you know your shit, like you got to charge what you're worth and you got to be, you know, loud and proud to say like, this is what it is so that you can attract more of that huge believer in that. And I love to share that with like other friends who freelance and have their own businesses. And mm-hmm. so for you to be the voice of that, it is like a radical thing. It's like you said, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, but right. <laughs> but it, for some reason it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it totally is. And, and I think like when we first launched the platform, so the way that it works is basically like there's this big library of templates that we've created. So there's thousands of services uh, across dozens of different roles. And each service has a title, it has a price point, has a description. And those services are the things that you use are the building blocks to putting like a proposal scope of work together, an invoice together. And they basically are the through line throughout the project lifecycle. And so when we first launched, we published our own data first. Like we were like, this is what we are charging for our services. Here's 200 of our services and 25 of our scopes of work. And this is what we charge for website redesigns and then brand campaigns. And then from there, like the aha moment just started to like snowball. Like once people got on board and then they were seeing all that and then they were making changes and they were adding new services and pricing things. And we could see what price points were winning projects the most, what projects were closing the fastest or the most frequently. Like we have a lot of that data and we continue to publish it. But I think like the crowdsource aspect of it where, you know, today we have 80,000 freelance businesses on the platform. And so the tens of thousands of those data points of how people are adjusting up or down in terms of pricing, we make updates every month and hopefully someday, you know, getting out to real time, which is just really like the words we hear a lot are like confidence. Like it's, it, you were already there. You were already there, right? Like you were already yeah. delivering work of that quality, but like they almost, people need like some level of permission, confidence yeah. to say like, yeah, this is what it costs. And that is a mindset thing, right? It's not even really functional. It's like a very much a mindset thing, but that's where data and transparency there can open up a world of opportunities. And I believe that if we can get 70 million people on here and we all know like we're not charging $5 anymore, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. going to make a radical change in the industry at large. And that's what I'm hoping to do, honestly. You are giving me chills. That's so awesome. I know that like, especially while you're in these funding rounds that people are clearly invested and and interested. And I know you're kind of going through this journey where people are really starting to get on board in in great amounts to support this. But I'm curious, like, have you, have you received any backlash or people who, you know, a lot of people hate when there's challenges to, you know, this whole salary transparency conversation. And, you know, it used to be this culture of like, don't talk about how much you make. And have you kind of received that, but like on the freelance side of it? So I 
it was so interesting. Like when we first launched, we weren't sure what the response would be because it is a taboo thing and it is an odd thing to ask people to be transparent. I mean, the data itself is anonymized, but even so, we weren't sure. Like, what is the comfort? What is going to be people's comfort levels? And actually, what we found pleasantly surprised is that a lot of people want to help lift other people up. And so, especially the more senior people who are mentors who are demanding, you know, six figures or more, they want to help more people do that. And so, I think like where I see things is like today's market and the products that exist in the market, like marketplaces and even like communities and things like that, some to some extent. I think they're feeding a dynamic around competition that doesn't actually lend itself to the natural behavior of this community, which is to help each other and to collaborate. So I think like when we were really thinking about this, the, the number one thing I would say is like, if you're not sure about something, get in front of your customer and see what they say. So we, we launched and we tried to get that out quickly. And then as we got that feedback, like, oh, this is really amazing. And oh, I, you know, how can I help other people? How can I mentor other people? Because we really started with those more senior like job creators, I would call them on the mm-hmm. platform. These are the folks that, you know, win a big website project and then pull two other freelancers into them. Right. You know, I think like I was really pleasantly surprised to see how willing and, and enthusiastic they were to participate. Now, who I do get pushback from are people on more of like the investor and like employment side of things, obviously. And a lot of questions start to rise like, well, what about level of experience or years in business or like in terms of factors of pricing? Like, why should an ex freelancer be able to charge? Why are you recommending they can charge that much to done? I'm like, oh, buddy, like that's capitalism, my friend. Like, it's up to the client to decide and bet, like, is this worth 10 grand it's, or not? Yeah, it's okay when you do it. It's a problem when I do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, girl, I'm like, the price is what the client's willing to pay. And they get all caught up in these old like tropes. And it's because freelance is so closely tied to employment. But at the end of the day, like freelancers are founders, they're entrepreneurs. That's how I see them. They're running a business. They're not an employee. They were an employee. They'd probably be in-house still. They don't see themselves a lot of the time that way. So I think that's where I get most of the pushback is, is just from an old world point of view of like freelancers are employees. And I'm like, freelancers are founders. And we are out here trying to help them build real sustainable businesses that are lucrative, that they can support their families on, not try to bend over backwards so that a company can hire them for $10 an hour. Yeah. Lead that <laughs> charge. Yes. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad. I'm so glad to hear that it's been mostly a great reaction. I mean, I could, I could see why just as somebody who, yeah, has freelanced for so long, I'm like, this is that thing that people wish they had. And now it's here. That's amazing. But doing this whole process, like from the moment you started your studio to becoming Weethos to now these like funding rounds and everything that you're doing, you know, it's a lot. So I'm sure that you're very busy. I'm sure you're very tired. I know you need a nap. Glad you're here with us. But I did want to know, like in as as a founder, how do you prioritize your own self-care and how do you kind of like take care of yourself to keep the momentum to keep doing this work? Yeah, this is such a challenge and it's it's ongoing, honestly. Yeah. I think in my early days, I don't want to say something that is like a false narrative, which is that like, I think you do have to sacrifice a good amount in the early days mm-hmm. to get things off the ground. And I think that I did do that a lot. I think I did that a little too much, maybe burn myself out. And I think that's where people are, a lot of people are at today. Yeah. But like, you know, if you want something and you want to build something and you want to make something out of life, like sometimes there are sacrifices. Like, yeah, I did have some nights where I didn't sleep and I did have weekends where I had to work. And those are the trade-offs. And I think as long as I was consciously making those trade-offs in the early days and being aware of it, you know, for better or worse, like that's what I had to do. Now, as time went on, it's not sustainable to be that way. It's unsustainable to just work yourself in the ground all the time. So you have to have like a light at the end of that tunnel. And I think that as the business grew, you know, taking a step back and being able to work more on the business versus in it made a big difference in terms of my mental health because you're less like chaotically responding to anything at any given time and you're more you need more time to think essentially which forces you to rethink what productivity means to you even yeah as leader of the org like if i go out for a walk and i'm thinking and i'm toiling and i unlock something or a new idea or something that I think is going to work. And I spent an hour doing that instead of answering emails. 
unfortunately our brains are so hardwired that it's like, oh, I just wasted an hour on a walk when I should have been answering 20 emails. And it's like, it's so sad. You know, like, what does it mean? So I think that's one thing, which is that I've had to have ongoing and conscious conversations like with myself and with my co-founder even about like productivity and what does that mean? And are we really optimizing for productivity or should we be optimizing for profitability, which is what, you know, I think should be the case. It's not time, like less time, more money is the, uh, is the goal for anybody, right? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> like, I'm like, tell me how you do that. But like yeah, right. what, so what you said, yeah. Exactly. Like coming up with ideas is always the main goal, right? Like, cause you gotta, I had a mentor who always said like, you, you want to constantly be in that like state of coming up with ideas, creative flow. Of course, like we know that, that we're always chasing that as entrepreneurs, but it, it is, you're right. It's like a hardwired thing. It's like a never ending process because I've had plenty of days where I know that if I go on a brainstorming type walk, how beneficial that could be, how many yeah. things I can work through without sitting in front of my computer. But then sometimes you do have that guilt, like I should have been doing more of this and that. Yeah. And I think that that comes back to like, you know, I, I run my business. I, I, I have a creative agency where I run my business as, you know, I'm trying to get out of it more too. I'm in that process where I'm trying to get more on top of it to work on it than be in it, which requires hiring more people which means I mean, you tap into more freelancers. But it's that battle of kind of knowing like how to make productivity work in your way, which for me, also having uh, ADHD means like time blocking is so important for me. Like, you know, my calendar, I'm so religious about it now. It was a game changer once I did that. Like, yeah, what are some other things? Like, are you, your your calendar, Pomodoro? I'm a Pomodoro person. I love okay. it. I, it's, it's the visual time blocking, honestly, that makes a difference because what I found is that with my ADHD, I have this horrible, we have this horrible thing, right? Where it's like the things you don't want to do, you estimate how much time it'll take in your brain secretly. And you're like, that's going to take me three hours and it takes 10 minutes. And the things you do want to do, you're like, that'll take 10 minutes and it takes three hours actually because you go down a rabbit hole. So I started to make to-do lists and I started to actually put like my estimated realistic time next to each one to help not get overwhelmed basically. Cause if I have, I will get overwhelmed by 20 tasks that all take 10 minutes. I will get so overwhelmed. Easily. I'll be like, Oh my God, I can't like, <laughs> just I looking cannot. at it. Yeah. <laughs> it starts to get blurry. The page yeah, is like, like- not. And so if I find that my, my tasks, my to do's are turning into that, I know that's a signal for me to step back and be like, how am I spending my time? And is, is it going to the best place? So definitely like time, time blocking and being realistic has helped me also overcome the thing that I'm like, it's going to take three hours secretly. And then I'm like, actually, that literally takes 10 minutes. So I think that's a big thing. And then the other thing I would say as a creative, a big challenge that I had and that I think a lot of other people have is there's so much about the business that's not creative. Yeah. There's a lot of work that goes into the business that is simply not creative. And honestly, I didn't even get diagnosed with my ADHD until I left my creative job. And it's because when I was doing a purely creative job, I didn't notice it as much. Like I could lock in and I could focus mm. and I could, because I was highly interested in it and it blended itself really well. And up until my, I don't know how I survived up to that point, like without That's so knowing, fascinating. I, yeah. <laughs> but, but like, so then when I started the business, it became a lot more prevalent to me yeah. because there was so much more administrative stuff, just stuff that felt linear that just is much harder for me. So I think like that, bringing that to my attention and also finding ways to weave creativity in, like I know that if I've spent too much time, like more than a week or two on a lot of admin stuff, I got to make something. Even if it's like just a social post for us or yes. a drawing, I could, I do some draw, a lot of drawing on my iPad. Like I need some, the act of creating big or small, like fills me up. And so I think finding those things that fill you back up when you have to do the things that drain you is super important because you, you just can't avoid the things that drain you sometimes. Like, Yeah, that is such a good tip, Rachel. You're like telling my life story because I I also like was diagnosed after, you know, once I became a founder pretty yeah, much. Like, oh my God, why am I so unwell? Like what's wrong? Yeah, literally, I'm like someone help. And then I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then I learned from some, I don't know, I forget where I learned this, but I found that basically this is so recent that I figured out the whole I need to create something if I'm doing too many monotonous things because I'm such a creative. And I figured it out because somebody had uh, somebody who is like an ADHD educator 
on social media, I'm sure, basically said that eating the frog doesn't always work for ADHDers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, eating the frog, that whole productivity mentality of like doing the hard thing first. Like if you have, you know, the, the admin stuff, like do that first. That never worked for me. And I didn't understand until I was educating myself and realized that, no, I need to make the social posts. I need to you know, design something first, like, let me update this, you know, something on Canva. And then now I'm like pumping with energy and life because I did something fun and creative. And now the other stuff, it kind of flows easier. That has been the game changer for me. So I know exactly what you mean about breaking that up. I love that. The, like start Even starting the day that way makes so much sense because it kicks your brain on um, in a natural way that you're like, engaged with something that you already know you are super interested in. And then, yeah, translating and changing gears into those other things starts to flow for sure. I also find I work remotely a lot. I think one thing about the pandemic is a lot of people real, like didn't realize that, like working remotely does not mean you have to work from home. Yes. So like if I have like a bunch of emails to knock out, I'll go to a coffee shop for an hour or two because the stimulation around me helps the boring task feel less boring for some reason. Yes. So that also helps. Like I I know I time block certain mornings to like crank out a bunch of admin stuff that I've been maybe avoiding and I'll go to a coffee shop to do that. And it has, it's like enough stimulation for my brain to. Yeah. Change of scenery, it. like just kind of being somewhere else, like watching people, you know, people watching for a little bit and like, all right, I'll Which answer some more of these. Helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm just sitting in my house and I'm like, I can just sit like <laughs> it's yeah. really a game changer like literally like you said just an hour I'll do it for just an hour and then suddenly I'm like wow like I actually knocked that out but if I'm sitting in my house trying to do it, it might take me just a little longer but these are the, these are the things we we figure out over time and like like you said it's a process and I really love to ask other entrepreneurs this question in general because I feel like we need to just exchange notes sometimes, like just like you're building community to figure out the like transparency of it all. I hope that, you know, that resonates with somebody when it comes to how they can stay productive, whether they're creative, whether they have ADHD or or not, like just prioritizing self-care and wellness and all that is is important. But like you said, when you're starting out something like, yeah, I've definitely been there. Like you'll you'll grind your ass off and, and yeah. you have to do that. But now things look a little differently for you. So at this point, I wanted to ask you about like things you kind of tell yourself to keep going. You know, mm-hmm. I love a little affirmation. I love a little mantra. I actually saw something on your LinkedIn that I was obsessed with. Your banner said, um, <laughs> in the age of performative cruelty, kindness is punk as fuck. I know that's not an affirmation per se, but I do love that. Like, can you tell me a little bit about that and any other mantras you have? Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. I love that one. I feel like I've had that one since like 2016, honestly, where it's I just dope. Was like, what's going on? Like, we're all just like <laughs> being cruel for fun. Like, I don't just for a good time like it's do crazy, we have yeah. to it's crazy so yeah that, that was one of my favorites I think journaling definitely helps me in the morning like the prompts of like what I'm what I'm practicing today like you know what changes I want to make and like what they allow me to do I try to I try to be diligent about that um but I think in terms of like mantras there's two that immediately come to mind one is I think a quote from Cindy Gallup and she says something to the effect of like Worrying about what other people think is the single biggest thing holding you back in business and in life. Giving a fuck about what other people think, basically. So I think that is helpful because I think I tend to judge myself before anyone else can judge me. And that self-judgment is way worse, I think, than anyone else. You're so critical to yourself. Like, I'll be so... I'll be so sweet to other people and genuinely, like, kind. And then I'll be like, Tiffany, what the fuck was that? Like, you are... (laughs) And I have to stop myself like, wait. Yeah, it's hell in here. I know. I'm like, oh, this boss is the worst. She's like constantly telling me to do shit. (laughs) Um, We got to be kind to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's one that I really like. And then the other one is actually just from a tweet uh, that I saw from a friend of mine um, who's also on the platform. Her name's Leticia. She runs this company called Visionary Rising, which is a like a creative agency production studio. And she said, uh, she tweeted out like, you're worrying about imposter syndrome while there's someone else out there like masquerading as the expert in your space when you're 10 times more qualified basically I, I can't remember the exact quote but it was something to that effect that I actually literally wrote it on a piece of paper and put it next to my desk for a while because I was having I was having a bout of that imposter syndrome and feeling like I didn't know what I was word. talking about or something and 
I was like, it just made me, it just reminded me like, there's so many people out here who are not experts in anything saying and all the things like touting all their expertise in things that I actually have spent years you know, <laughs> obsessing about. And you I have data, you have studies, yeah, you have. Totally. It serves years. as a good reminder for everybody. Like, you know, especially with the imposter syndrome challenge, which is just that like, if you've spent time and, and I actually calculated the hours because you know how they say like, for, what is it like 40,000 hours or something is for 20 20, I think something like that. I thought it was four. I thought it was forty. Maybe yeah, I have to double check that. Yeah, and I think I did some back of the napkin math on like the last seven years, approximately X amount of hours a week, and I was like, oh, I've I've done like uh, eighty thousand hours on this. Like I've so see, <laughs> yeah, that. Like, you really have to see shit like that to like be like, you know what? Okay, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm like why? Why am I like emotionally feeling one way when like the reality is different? And I think that's the hardest thing about getting out of your own head is like, you've got to find ways to remind yourself of what the reality is, not your perception of that reality. Someone else masquerading around is the, like, wow, I'm like going to have to write that one down too. Yeah, like as the you expert do in your see space, it. And you're like, yeah. oh. <laughs> and that happens. Like, I know, you know, of course, you know, the whole thing around comparison, but like, you kind of do have to check yourself in that way. Like, there's times where I've seen that and I'm like, that person went for it. You know, like, there's plenty of things out there. And especially being like a, a PR girly myself, I'm constantly telling people about building their brand and, you know, go for the awards. And I see, I just, I just see things in my friends and my clients and people in my network that I'm like, oh my God, like you are an expert. You are so worthy. Like Rachel, you have 80,000 hours in this. Like, why aren't you going for that speaking engagement? Why aren't you doing that thing? And I know for, for people who are really purpose-driven like yourself, like I can totally tell, like you said, you're like, I want to be the person who is driving this mission and like inspiring people and like making sure that they're getting what they deserve. It's hard when you're that person to like put yourself to the forefront because you're not doing it to be like this martyr, like right. God right. person. <laughs> it's it's a little harder, like, but we do have to tell ourselves that like getting that type of exposure is for the greater good. And you know that your intentions aren't, you know, someone masquerading around in your field just totally. to talk, you yeah, know? I totally appreciate that. And I think, like, I totally agree with you. Like, people don't know what you're up to unless, like, you talk about it. And I'm, I'm saying this to myself, too. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's just one of those things where you, you, a lot of times, like, we end up getting in our own way in that regard. And I think one thing that I've always lived by, too, is, like, people will only take you as seriously as you take yourself. And I think that if you expect or want other people to take you seriously in some way, shape or form, then like you've, you've got to present that out to the world. Yeah. People like can form their own opinions and whatnot, but at the end of the day, they're looking for guidance, honestly, on yes. like, why should I follow you? Like, who are you? Like they want almost, I don't want to say they want to be told, but you know, like, A you, little you bit. Gotta tell them, like, this well, <laughs> on that note about wanting to be told, you kind of do because I think of it in a way where this is such a fast-paced world and like there's so much noise, there's so much content, there's so many things out there that you kind of have to you kind of have to let people know what it is real quick. Yeah. And so I I everything that you're doing right now is just I think so needed especially for, you know, this freelance community that needs the transparency. I'm also thinking about the fact that I've worked with a ton of like freelance content creators, especially in my line of business that no one knows what, like who's getting paid, like the whole, you know, the whole like, oh, yeah. influencer creator world, like needs that transparency. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, of course, like where we can find you, how people can sign up for the platform, like how they can get these great resources that you've been putting together. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I know those those backdoor like brand deals and stuff and you're kind of like- So bad. Like who's so bad? Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help combat it. Maybe we can do it together. It's awful. Yeah. I know we should, we should like publish like a, a piece on this or something. Yes. I love that idea. Yeah. So where can they find it? So I'm going to send, share a link so that your audience can sign up and get access to Weethos Pro for 30 days free. And awesome. then they'll have access to all of our templates and our pricing recommendations. And there's a bunch of really great scopes of work in there for things like brand campaigns, influencer campaigns, social media strategy, like the stuff that's like hard to scope <laughs> that has like nitty gritty stuff in it. Bless, so bless Rachel. Let me check that out. And yeah, and you can sign up basically through that link um, and you'll get the 30 days free, but you can also check us out at weethos.co and just to get a sense of, you know, what the platform does. You can find me, unfortunately, I'm still on Twitter, so... 
I'm on X, whatever. Rachel forever. <laughs> or on LinkedIn. Or honestly, my email is rachel at wethos.co. Like I love to hear from entrepreneurs. I love to hear from people. So if you're facing any challenges, you want to do some office hours, like I'm totally happy to do that. And I'd love to chat. Oh, that's so sick. I hope people take advantage of that. This has been a great chat. And before we go, is there any like just, you know, word of advice or any just tip you want to leave off for our freelancer friends out there who are really trying to like, yeah, be their own boss and and really take it to the next level? Yeah, I always say this and it sounds it feels like maybe kind of cliche, but I find that there are a lot of people out there that are paralyzed by like analysis paralysis, I call it. Either it's because it's coming from a place of like perfectionism of like, you know, it, until it's absolutely perfect, I can't launch it or I can't announce it or I can't do this thing. Oof. And then it also sometimes comes from a place of just like unknowns, like a lot of unknowns. And am I doing this right? And, you know, fear, basically. So what I would just say to folks is, first of all, nobody knows what they're doing at the end of the day. Like I talk to freelancers literally every day and every single person says, am I doing this right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> no matter how far along they are. And that's just because we don't really have a playbook yet. And there, you know, there, there will be, and we're working on it. But I think if you're feeling like I'm not doing this right, or the process is wrong, or you're, you have fear in that way, just know that like, you're not alone. And a lot of people feel that way. And so I think that the big thing I kind of want to leave people with is you're not alone and, and you're not alone in your challenges and you're not alone in you know, your successes either. And I think that if the more that you can find and lean on community in that way, and the more vulnerable you're willing to be with your challenges, the more vulnerable others are going to be willing to be in, in response as well. And I think that you'll find that there are many, many, many people out there who share the same, same issues. So don't be afraid. Um, yes. I love that. We're all in the same boat with that. Everyone's building towards something. Fear can get in the way, but that's why we have community big believer in community, sharing resources. So like Rachel said, there will be a playbook that's coming along and there's this platform and you could even email Rachel directly. How dope is that? Like we got to take advantage of opportunities like that. So I hope this is helpful for people out there. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time and I can't wait to, you know, hopefully collaborate with you in the future. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Thanks for listening to Main Character Energy. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow on social at Tiff or Die and Main Character Energy Pod to access exclusive content and get a behind the scenes look as well as resources to help you become that bitch. See you next week.